And a very good evening to you all. It's lovely to, to see you and great that we can come together and worship together this evening. And great that we can zoom in on this passage, that we can continue to walk alongside Jesus in Luke's gospel. So um, let me just pray for us as we start and uh, dive into this passage. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us, that you haven't left us to make our own way, fumbling in the darkness, but that you reveal yourself to us in your word, in scripture, in this, in this wonderful gospel passage that we have before us. Say, Lord, whatever week we've had, whatever afternoon we've had, help us now just to quieten our minds, to tune in and to engage with what you are saying to each and every one of us. We pray that for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, as we start, let me uh, introduce you to a couple, and hopefully they're going to join us on the screen. There we go. Fantastic. Meet Joe and Jess Thwaite, who are a pretty, or I should say, who were a pretty ordinary Gloucestershire couple, but whose lives were changed forever this past week when they discovered that they had won the Euro Millions Lottery jackpot. But they weren't just winners, no. They are the biggest ever winners, having won a record-breaking £184,262,899, making them, check this, richer than Adele. What? It is a staggering amount of money, isn't it? Becoming ultra-rich overnight. And as soon as we begin to discuss a, a lottery winner, that classic question starts to bubble at the back of our minds. Maybe it is for you even now. What would you spend it on? How would you spend it? If you had 184 million, how would you spend it? It's a classic question, isn't it? And actually, it's one that I've heard on the news, seen on my phone, heard on the radio this past week. So why don't we just lean into it and, and take a moment for a second in your groups with those around you. If you had 184 million on your doorstep, land on your lap, what would you do with it? How would you spend it? Take a few moments, not too long. It's not too serious a question. <laughs> Great, let me bring us uh, back together again. I'm sure we had all kinds of answers there. Maybe some, some boring answers, maybe some nice answers, maybe some weird and out there answers as well. I don't know. But the, the fact that we even ask ourselves this question, how would you spend it? I think it reveals a lot about us, about our culture, about our society. It reveals that we long for more. We can't see this picture behind us without thinking, if that was me, what would I do with it? That for many, their desires and dreams will be driven by the wealth of this world that they are, in some ways, living for the wealth of this world. And in the part of the Bible that we had read for us, we saw in Luke 12 that there's, a, well, there's this man who finds himself in the same position, this desire for more. Well, it's nothing new. And as we immerse ourselves in this episode, despite it taking place 2,000 years ago and 3,000 miles away, well, in many ways, it reflects our society today. And it powerfully sheds a light onto our own hearts. So, where are we in Luke 12? We're on the road with Jesus as he heads towards Jerusalem. But we're not traveling alone. No, we're told at the beginning of the chapter that there are thousands of people wanting to hear Jesus, see him and speak with him. 
And in our passage for today, we see that this man is one such person. He he manages to break through the, the heaving crowds and he approaches Jesus and he asks him in verse 13, if you've got it open in front of you, verse 13, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I don't know what you think when you hear the word inheritance. For me, it, it takes me to all those classic murder mystery stories where, I don't know if you're a fan of Agatha Christie or a different crime writer, you'll be familiar with those plots where the families are gathered together for the reading of a will. And then there's that shock as someone unexpected is left with all the money in the stately home. And then, of course, there's the murder that follows and the mystery develops. Well, here we have this man who, probably following the death of his father, feels angry and upset because his older brother has been left with all the inheritance and hasn't shared it with him. But rather than, uh, than setting us up with a crime drama, Luke shows us Jesus' reply to this man. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you, Jesus says. I think it's a fair question, isn't it? Here is this man with his financial issues, and he comes to Jesus. Well, evidently, amongst the thousands in the crowd around Jesus, there are those whose lives, well, they want their lives fixed. We know the stories, don't we, of the miraculous healings, bodies that were broken, restored, and renewed. But for this man, his biggest problem isn't his health. No, it's his desire for wealth. And so he goes to Jesus, wanting him to fix the problem. Just like he's fixed withered hands and blind eyes, well, he calls Jesus teacher, and he sees him as some kind of financial fixer-upper. But Jesus is no mere wise teacher. He's the promised king, the son of God. And knowing this man's heart, knowing his desires, well, Jesus gives him a proverb, and then a parable. If you like, it's a a wise warning and a story with a sting. So firstly, we get the wise warning, the proverb in verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus calls this man, calls the crowd around him, and calls us today, calls us today to be on our guard against greed, against all kinds of greed, because greed can manifest itself in all kinds of areas of our lives. I think a helpful way to appreciate this is through our phones. I imagine uh, many of us will come this evening with our smartphones in our pockets, and I wonder for you, if you were to naturally gravitate towards one particular app on your phone, what would it be? There's all kinds of things that might be, mightn't it? Maybe it is your Amazon app, looking for the deal of the day, looking to try out some new tech, or just getting some more stuff to make our homes and houses comfortable. Maybe, I've been looking at this one this past week, it's the Airbnb app, where you're looking for that perfect holiday destination, your next adventure. Maybe you're just feeling a bit peckish at the end of a weekend, and you're looking at Uber, Deliveroo, Just Eat, food delivered fast at the touch of a button. Maybe it's not so much food and it's more housing. You're on the Right Move app and you're looking for that perfect home, that better house, bigger house. Or maybe you're just knackered and you're streaming. Netflix, Disney, your choice, whatever it is. 
where you binge watch, wanting to be more and more entertained. Now, please don't mishear me. None of those apps are, are, are bad things. Wanting to have a break away, buy things, watch things, and eat good food, of course. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. I'm not saying that at all. But what Jesus is talking about here is greed, where those good things become the things that we're longing after, living each day for, where we simply want more and more, where enough is never enough. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. But why? Why do we need to be wary of greed? Well, he says that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And this really cuts to the heart of what we're thinking about this evening. That there is more to life than stuff. More to life than what we buy to furnish our homes with. That next big experience or adventure. More to life than simply wanting more of those things. So, that's Jesus' wise warning. But to really bring this truth home, well, we then get Jesus' parable where he tells this story with a sting to show what it really means to live for the wealth of this world. So what does it really mean to live for all that this world has to offer? Three things that Jesus shows us in this parable. And the first thing is this. Living for the wealth of this world is to deny our mortality. In this story that Jesus tells, we have a rich man, a landowner who has an absolutely bumper harvest. Abundant is how it's described. So much corn and wheat and produce is there that he says to himself, what on earth am I going to do with it all? I know. Pull down those old normal-sized barns and in their place build bigger Amazon depot-sized mega barns. And that's where he's going to store his surplus grain. It's the equivalent of a, a seriously impressive savings account. With all this extra grain, this man is sorted for life. He never needs to work another day again. And so he says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now that phrase, well, it might sound familiar to some of us here this evening because it's actually a quote from the Old Testament where it comes up quite a few times. And in fact, actually, it's still quite a popular slogan even today. I remember whilst I was uh, living in London, walking on one of the streets there, and I spotted this bar restaurant called Eat, Drink and Be Merry which is quite a good name for a restaurant in some ways. But the thing is, the thing is, well, that's not the entire slogan. That's not the entire quote, is it? That's not exactly how it goes, because both in Ecclesiastes and Isaiah, we see that same phrase as eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, I appreciate that's probably not what you want on the side of your restaurant. Not great for business. But it's striking, isn't it, that they leave that bit out. And even more strikingly, this man here in this story does the exact same thing. He says that with his huge wealth that he has amassed, that he will kick back, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But like with the restaurant, he too fails to recognize the full quote. 
he too completely fails to recognize that he will die. So consumed is he with the here and now, with the wealth and riches, that he lives life as if he was immortal. So we begin to see, don't we, that living for the wealth of this world is to deny our mortality. And this is where we can begin to appreciate just how dangerous greed really is. Because greed drives us to have and want more and more and creates around us a a wall of possessions, experiences, comforts that lead us to thinking that this is all there is and all there ever will be. And it's that wall around us that causes us to ignore the reality of our mortality. That stark reality that however much stuff we have, we cannot take it with us. We cannot take it with us. And that's exactly what takes place in this story that Jesus tells. As this ultra-rich man sets up his deck chair to survey his mega barns, God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared. You cannot take it with you. And this story of a rich man shows us that living for the wealth of this world, what it is to deny our mortality. But secondly, it also shows us that living for the wealth of this world is to deny the resurrection. You see, this rich man had lived his life chasing after wealth and riches, effectively saying that this is it. This is all there is. So I better make the absolute most of it. And do you know what? As we look ahead into the rest of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually kind of agrees with him, at least to begin with. Uh, Don't turn there now, but if we were to turn up 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, that if there is no resurrection, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's that phrase again. Paul says that without hope of the resurrection, we might as well do whatever we like. Eat, drink, and try to be merry because this is it. This life is it. And if this is it, I've got to squeeze absolutely everything I can to get as much as I can out of it. I think that's quite a terrifying thought, isn't it? But it's actually one that many will be living with that they have to get the most out of every party, out of every, every event, collect as much stuff as they can, gain as much wealth, and they have to enjoy every second of it because this is all there is. This is as good as, as life gets. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We die. End of. And so can you see how living for the wealth of this world is actually to deny The resurrection. But thankfully, wonderfully, the Apostle Paul doesn't end there. He says this later in that chapter, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus, if you like, is the the, the first apple on the tree or the first flower of spring. As soon as you see one, you know that the rest are going to be coming soon. Jesus is the first one to have been raised to life. So we can know that others too will soon experience the resurrection. Listen to these wonderful words that Paul writes towards the end of this chapter in 1 Corinthians. This is the difference that the resurrection makes. Death 
has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So if you're a Christian believer here this evening, we can stare death in the face and not have to drown our fears in turning to Amazon or to Netflix, chasing after wealth in this world. Because even in facing death, we know that in Jesus, well, this life is not all there is. In Jesus and his resurrection, we too will be raised. Raised to new life, eternal life, life in that wonderful new creation. And so rather than denying the resurrection by living this life, chasing after the wealth of this world, we can live our lives for God's glory, knowing that there is a a better, a wonderful life to come. And this is exactly what the man who approached Jesus, remember at the beginning of our story, this is what he needed to realize. He was squabbling with his brother over an earthly inheritance when he could have been looking forward to a much much better inheritance, a heavenly inheritance, that eternal life to come. And I think this drives us to ask the question of ourselves. What are we prioritizing in our lives? What are we hoping in, investing in, shaping our lives around? Is it that earthly inheritance or is it a heavenly one? Well, so far, we've seen that To live for the wealth of this world is to deny our mortality and is to deny the resurrection. But thirdly, thirdly, we see here that it is also to deny God. We've seen that in this parable, the story that Jesus tells, that God calls this rich man a fool. It's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? And if we were to look elsewhere in the Bible to see what this is, what this really is meant by this, this title of fool. Well, we see just how strong and serious this is. In Psalm 14, we read, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's the description given to this rich man. A fool, because he's someone who has said in his heart that there is no God. Now, he might not have said that out loud in front of others, but his outward actions confirm the inward reality of his heart, that he denies God's very existence. I think if you had to have a closer look at this, this story, we actually see that pretty clearly. In just five verses, we get ten references to I, my, myself. Just one example is this. Have a, have a listen. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And it goes on in that, in that same way ten times. This rich man's life completely revolves around himself. And so he completely fails to recognize who it is who has provided this harvest for him. He has no sense that it is a gift from God, that it is God's. And so he has no sense that he should be using it in ways to bring God glory, to care for the poor, the needy, the hungry. But no, just I, me, and my. You see, when we believe that all that we have is is self-earned rather than generously given, then God doesn't really fit in the picture anymore. And the more we have, well, the less we feel our need for God. That's the temptation. I wonder how true that is for us here in the West. 
Yes, absolutely, we are going through an economic crisis at the moment. And yes, we are facing tough financial times. But comparatively to so many, we are still very wealthy as a nation. We are still very comfortable in our lives. And I think it's with that, that comparative comfort and wealth that we can all too easily start to remove God from the equation. And this is, this is powerfully summed up by Jesus after he finishes telling this story with this thing. Having captured how the rich man is a fool who lives for the world and its wealth, not realizing that his life will soon end, he says this in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And that's when the penny drops. All along, this rich man was actually poor, completely impoverished because he didn't know God. He may have been as wealthy as it gets in regards to his stuff, his possessions, but he was absolutely destitute towards God. And so the implication for us, the challenge that Luke's gospel steers our way, is are we striving to be worldly wealthy, but at the cost of being spiritually poor? situation that this man in our story finds himself in, or it doesn't need to be our story here this evening. Instead, instead we can recognize our richness in our relationship with God. We can recognize that we are infinitely rich, wealthy beyond our wildest dreams, because Jesus, well, he has generously poured out God's love on us. Through Jesus, we can know the richness of relationship with God, something that a that 184 million pound jackpot doesn't even scratch the surface of. And so as followers of Jesus, those with real riches and a true hope for a better life, we can live differently to this man in our story. And we can respond differently in three distinct ways as we begin to wrap up. We can we can live generously instead of being marked by that tight-fistedness, a sense that if this is all there is, then I have to hold on to every penny and make the most of it. Actually, we can live with an open-handedness, generous with the gifts that God has given us, knowing that actually there's better in store for us. We can also live boldly, bold in our conversations, appreciating just how desperately others around us need that rich relationship with God. Recognizing just how spiritually poor our society is, how poor towards God, Thurnby, Houghton, Netherhall, Thurmiston are, or we can be proclaiming the hope that we have. And finally, finally, we can also live life with peace. And the verses that follow this passage that we'll be looking at Next week, we see Jesus wonderfully teaching on why we don't need to worry. It feels very timely at the moment. We've seen how if we're living for the wealth of this world, enough will never be enough. Instead, we can live completely at peace, trusting God to provide for our needs in the here and now, all the while knowing that the best is yet to come. Can you just, just take a moment, I guess, if it's helpful to close your eyes, do you say, but can you imagine just how much a difference this would make 
if we were to really believe this and actually to live it out in our lives. Open-handed generosity, bold in sharing our hope, and at peace with all that we have in God. What a difference that would make. Let me close by telling you just briefly about a man called uh, Jim Elliott. He's there on the screen behind me. Jim was an American. He uh, took what we've been thinking about this evening really seriously. So seriously that back in the 1950s, he went out to be a missionary to a tribe of Ecuadorian Indians who were completely unreached and unreached by the gospel. And rooted in his relationship with God, Jim was generous with all that he had, his resources, his time, even having to leave behind his family to undertake this work. Jim was bold in wanting to share the hope that he had with these unreached people. And when Jim and the four other missionaries with him were speared to death, when he was just 28 years old, he died with peace, knowing that this life was not all there is. Jim Elliot was someone who very much did, did not live solely for the wealth of this world. In fact, he's recorded as saying this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot recognized that his life and the things of this world, well, he couldn't keep them forever. Instead, he fully gave himself to making Jesus known because he knew he knew that the life he had in Jesus would never be lost. Well, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for Jim Elliot's example to us of that, that generosity, that boldness, and that peace that he had in you. Father, we thank you for this, this really clear story that Jesus told story that helps us to, to think about what we are longing for, what we are hoping in. Father, this evening, help us to recognize, uh, for, for each and every one of us here this evening, to recognize just how, how rich we are in our relationship with you. Father, we recognize that many will be struggling with all different kinds of things. But Lord, if we're trusting in you, in your son, we are rich because we know you and we have hope for a better life to come. Help us to celebrate that, Father, and in the week ahead to be thinking about how we can be generous uh, with all that you have given us, those gifts that you have given us. Pray that you'll be helping us to do this by your Spirit, for your glory. Amen.